0: What's up, kid folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we're going to go through my week eight, week nine, top 25 rankings, and the AP's week nine top 25 rankings, as we had some moving and shaking on Saturday night. And we're going to talk a bit about Texas Christian and Kansas State, because as you know, I was in Columbus, Ohio on Saturday when we did our live show, and I had such a great time. I got to hang out with uh, Ohio State legend in Braxton Miller. Can't wait for you guys to see that content coming out a little bit later in the week. I also got to stand on the sideline at Ohio Stadium for Ohio State's beatdown of Iowa. But as you know, we kicked off that show as the nightcap was happening. So Texas Christian was just getting kicked off against Kansas State as we were doing the show. And I want to take this time to recap what we saw and what it means for the college football playoff and the Big 12 title race, right? So let's start with this. Texas Christian rallied from 28-10, uh, 28-10 deficit to win this game, 38-28, to but there was a lot of noise throughout this game. The first point that I want to raise here is that Kansas State quarterback Will Howard had to play a bunch of the game as Adrian Martinez only got in, I believe, nine plays. Now, The news on that is his injury is a deep knee bruise that just made it impossible for him to do what they've been able to do well at Kansas State with him, which is run the football and take advantage of that 11th man, something Colin Klein did a really great job of when he was Kansas State quarterback, and we've seen the development of Adrian Martinez, who still has not thrown an interception at all this year. Will Howard comes in, plays admirably, and really helps establish an 18-point lead for the Wildcats against an undefeated TCU team that had... Three ranked wins going into this game and was looking for number four. Max Duggan, though, is an absolute dude. Kendra Miller is an absolute dude. And you got to see why Jared Wiley transferred from Texas to Texas Christian, along with my man, Quentin Johnston, who came up big when it was time for him to come up big. That's why he's got the C on his shoulder. Outstanding performance for the Texas Christian Hornfrogs, Frogs, who really took advantage late of Will Howard going out, and they got a true freshman quarterback in there. He threw an interception that helped basically seal the game. For TCU and get them that fourth ranked win. Twenty nine carries for Kendra Miller, one hundred fifty three yards, two TDs. Max Duggan, seventeen of twenty six for two hundred eighty yards, three TDs, no interceptions. And now, big news here: Texas Christian joins Tennessee as the only program to win four ranked or get. Excuse me, let me go this again. The only program to beat four ranked opponents this season. There it is. Just give me a second here. I'm gonna get it right now. Why this is important is because we've been talking about Tennessee as a team that can make the college football playoff, and nobody's really taking the Big 12 that seriously, precisely because Texas Christian is the last undefeated team in the league. And this league's, well, reputation has been called into question basically since 2015 because of Oklahoma, okay? In years past, we've known that the number four spot in the college football playoff is the dunker spot meaning that the number one team is just going to use that opportunity to dunk on the number four team. Most years, it's been Oklahoma, and I have been on the receiving end of that dunking. So I can understand why the College Football Playoff Selection Committee might be looking at Texas Christian and going, do we really believe in this team more than we believe in, say, Tennessee? And right now, I'm with you. I would believe more in a Tennessee right now than a Texas Christian because the SEC is just a tougher league. And Tennessee, like Arkansas, ends up playing one of the tougher schedules in all of college football because it's just the nature of how their schedule sets up. Their crosser every single year is Alabama. They have to play Georgia. They have to play Florida. South Carolina went and got a win against Texas AM. and m They ain't no easy win. Kentucky has shown that they can go beat ranked opponents. They're not an easy win. Missouri had a 10-point lead on the defending national champions earlier this year. They're not an easy win. What I'm saying is Tennessee is going to have to run the gauntlet to get to the SEC championship game, and we're going to give them credit for doing that. I don't see anything wrong with that. Now, for me, I still think this is interesting in that can you beat Georgia? Because I still don't see it. I think Georgia's going to find a way to tear away what we think could be a magical season for the Tennessee Volunteers, even as they move to seven wins. And, yeah, we're going to count UT Martin because we do this when you know Alabama plays Mercer or uh, McNeese State, or Chattanooga, or whomever it is that they put in their dunker spot in October and November for the FCS spot. But for Texas Christian, it's not that way. We're talking about Southern Methodist, Colorado, and then you're really going into the Big 12 schedule. And you can't can't get dunked on, because I love using this word, for the schedule that you play. And not just have they won four ranked matchups this year, they've been all in a row, which I don't think is anything to sneeze at. They've had to run the gauntlet With the Big 12 schedule, and they're managing to take advantage of the one thing that gives a round robin league an advantage. You could be the true undefeated champ going into your Big 12 championship game and double up somebody. Something that I'm still expecting the Pac 12 to do, but won't do. And we'll talk about that here in a bit. So, as we keep going through the season, especially as we get into the college football playoff selection committee rankings on November 1st, I'm going to see who we continue to look at. Will it be a Tennessee? Will it be a TCU? And now let's get into my rankings, which kind of reflect my thinking here, right? So in my rankings, I still have Ohio State as the number one team. This is the third consecutive week that I have done this because they have an offense to marry with a defense that I think can win a national championship. And they've shown that. Now, the one blemish for Ohio State this season is the combined record of the team they have played is a losing one. But that ain't their fault. What I've seen from them is a team that can drop 50 on you anytime they want to and a defense that for the first time since 2019 can stop people. They have not given up more than 21 points in a game this season. I don't care if your schedule is not that tough. It's really difficult to hold people to 21 or fewer in modern college football while your offense continues to put up a lot of points. And they did that against Iowa. Now, the thing to take away from this is not just that Ohio State put up 54 on Iowa. It's that they doubled up the amount of points that Michigan put up on Iowa. And they scored the most points against a Kirk Ferenc team ever. And Kirk Ferentz has been the head coach of Iowa since 1999. Tanner McAllister also became the first Ohio State defender to have two interceptions in a game since 2009. They're getting outstanding play from players that they developed, like Tommy Eichenberg, right? who had in pick six and has been their best linebacker all year, an argument for the best defender on that team this year. And then offensively, you know what it is. C.J. Stroud is performing like a Heisman winner. I expect him to be the dude holding up the stiff arm trophy at the end of this. He's also got a Blitnikoff Award finalist, if not a winner, in a Marvin Harrison Jr., who looks like David Boston to me, but apparently runs routes like his father, Marvin Harrison Sr., who was slight and small, but also I got to stand next to Uh, one Marvin Harrison Jr. And we keep saying people are big. Now, as a short man, I don't think of tall people as being big. I think of people with big chest, big shoulders, strong backs as being big. That dude is tall and long. His arms come down to his knees. Like, it's there's a catch radius there that I can't overthrow. And it's really cool to see C.J. Stroud take advantage of that. On the other side, you got a Buka who's coming to his own. Julian Fleming also coming in his own. And you'll get Jackson Smith and Jigba back at full strength at some point in the season. This is why I believe Ohio State is the number one team in the country. They travel to Happy Valley to take, play a top 25-ranked Penn State team whose only loss was a beat down at the Big House against Michigan. Now, they perform well against Minnesota, but Minnesota's doing this without Tanner Morgan. That was a huge blow for the Minnesota Gophers. They still haven't been able to rebound for that. So now we get to see what Ohio State can do against a top 25 opponent on the road at what we expect to be a whiteout big game for both parties involved and has Big Ten East implications. Uh, I keep Michigan at number three, Alpha an Idol, same thing with Georgia at number two, Tennessee at four here, and Clemson at five. Now, quickly about this. This all comes down to, can Tennessee beat Georgia? Because if Tennessee can beat Georgia, a lot of this takes care of itself. Clemson, once again, showed that it is not infallible against an undefeated Syracuse team, a team that I thought early in the week was going to get beat down by Clemson. Not only did they hold their own, they knocked out the starting quarterback in DJ Uyunglele. They really acquitted themselves defensively well, and they managed to lose the football game by a touchdown where Sean Tucker has carried the ball all of five times. Now, for the uninitiated, Sean Tucker is a dude that I was fighting about last year as one of the best tailbacks in all of college football. He just played on a bad football team. This year, he's still the best offensive weapon you have. And the idea of Robert and I not handing that ball to do, uh, that dude the ball 30 times in one game against Clemson to say, beat us with our best guy, I found just nauseating. Now, I know that Garrett Schrader's a dude and he's acquitted himself that way, but I got to give the ball to Sean Tucker in winning situations, especially as my defense has shown they can take out the starting quarterback for Clemson if you just leave him out there. It's exactly what they did. Now you have a quarterback controversy at Clemson. But you got two five-star guys there. Now, the other thing to keep in mind here is that Clemson's coming on to an idle week, right? They're going to be on a bye this week, which means they get to figure out who the starting quarterback is going to be as they get prepared to take on a Notre Dame team that's going to try to play spoiler for them. This is where it gets interesting because, as you can see, man, like, I did not expect Syracuse to be in this game. I really didn't. It's in Death Valley. Nobody's won a game in Death Valley not named Clemson since November 2016. And yet here we are watching Gary Schrader dive at pylons and put them up in game 21-10, to 21-7 at one point and have the Clemson Tigers have to fight back for the second time in three years from a double-digit deficit at halftime. If anything, I learn more about Syracuse and I feel a little less certain about Clemson. But they're still at five because they're undefeated. Alabama is not, right? So I want to transition to looking at how the rest of this can go. So as we talk about, Alabama, Texas Christian, and even Oklahoma State, Oregon, UCLA, USC. The thing to mind here is that Texas Christian is undefeated, and I still have it number seven because I'm reflecting what I think you think and what the College Football Playoff Selection Committee thinks is you don't trust the dudes down there at Fort Worth. They're going to have to earn it, and they're going to have to take advantage of somebody else's misfortune. Same thing is true of an Oregon at number nine who had a decisive win against an undefeated UCLA team. I basically switched them because I think they're both very good teams. But for Oregon, that one loss is an albatross. You can't lose 49 to three and expect us to forget about it, even if you run the table against the Pac-12 because we don't really value the Pac-12. I would even say we value the Pac-12 a little less than we do the Big 12 based on how the College Football Playoff Selection Committee has reported itself. The Pac-12 has not had an entrant into the college football playoff since 2017. But with the Clemson loss, you open this up because the ACC is not really that strong. And the way I look at this is, you'll take a look at who I have at number 16, and this is my way of getting into what the AP has done, where we have a tie at number 10, which is kind of cool because the points usually don't come out this way. You have Wake Forest and USC at number 10 for the AP. And I have Wake Forest at 16, and I have USC at 11. Couple things taken apart here. One is Wake Forest for me is exactly who Texas Christian is. They just have a loss. They will put up 35, 40 points a game. As a matter of fact, I believe that both of those teams have scored more than 30 points in every game they played this year. And both of them are averaging better than 40 points per game. I believe Wake Forest is around 41 and Texas Christian is around 44. Okay. But would you pick them to make the college football playoff? No, you would not. Not without. Wake Forest winning the ACC championship, which means they'd have to get that win back against Clemson, or without Texas Christians, quite frankly, running the table because there's nobody left in this conference, the Big 12, that is, that we believe in. So they're going to have to do it all themselves. They're going to have to wait for it, be 12-0, and 0, and then hope that Clemson catches the Nell. Same thing is true of Oregon if they are able to run the table to get to the Pac-12 championship. Now, you'll see at 24, I have the Oregon State Beavers, Right. 24 for the uh, AP is North Carolina State. A couple things to take into account here. One, North Carolina State does not have their starting quarterback in Devin Leary. I keep looking at these rankings, and I say, are we going to start talking about the teams that have the guy that stirs the drink being out? I kept Adrian Martinez's uh, Kansas State Wildcats in at number 20, where the AP had them at 22, because he's not out for the season. matter of fact, he could come back for the Oklahoma State game later this week. We'll just have to see what that means as the week goes on, but Will Howard, if he can play, has shown that he can carry the load for them. There is no Devin Leary returning for NC State. I don't understand ranking them. I can't rank you if your quarterback is not a proven commodity at this stage in the season. You're going to go have to earn that, especially as you've got the losses to go along with this, right? There's no difference for me between North Carolina State and South Carolina at this point, and I'm barely in on South Carolina because they were able to beat an A&M team that's not very good. And I just looked at Liberty, who's 7-1 and and whose only loss is to Wake Forest by one point. All right? It's not like we're doing rocket science here. We know who's good and who's not now. It's just who's who's paying attention. Back to number 24 at Oregon State. Oregon State has three games on its schedule that I think it can win in the next three weeks. And then they have the state championship game against the Oregon Ducks, which means the Oregon Ducks would probably have to beat a ranked Oregon State who's at Basically, nine wins if they are able to continue to win those next three games, right? So now, all of a sudden, you have the Pac-12 playing itself in, and then you have what I expect to be a very big deal, in USC still having to run the table after their loss to Utah. And we're also going to get to see what Utah has to say about this, because if Oregon stumbles, like they have been known to, right? Or if we figure out that perhaps UCLA is good, and they beat USC— Shaking in the Pac 12. It's a very fun question that Matt Liner's asking here who's going to win the Pac 12? I couldn't tell you right now, but what I can tell you is the winner of that championship is not going to make the playoff, and that sucks because uh, I say they wouldn't make the playoff if Clemson goes undefeated, and that sucks because they removed divisions to get by this. But the Pac 12 has kind of made a silent pact that they just don't want to make it into the college football playoff because they keep cannibalizing themselves. And then this year, they did it before the before the end of October. So all I could do was giggle and laugh about that because I, I kind of want to cry for it because I think Oregon, had they played closely against Georgia, might get the benefit of the doubt and also could run the table undefeated in league play, still have that one loss that people point at, and that keeps them out, especially if Tennessee beats Georgia. Tennessee beats Georgia. There, there goes Oregon. That, that doesn't matter anymore. You need Georgia to beat Tennessee. You need Clemson to take in hell if you're a Pac-12 fan, right? Same thing with Texas Christian in the Big 12. The only teams right now that are a sure spot in the college football playoff, or, or I should say conferences, are the SEC and the Big 10. Everything else is up for grabs. While I am a college football connoisseur, and I love this, I can see why this might drive you nutty, and the 12-team playoff can't come fast enough. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak, who was really riding it out for me all weekend. Appreciate him so much. Senior producer, Catherine Donnelly, who's at the controls and keeping me on task. Our director is Kyle Holly, who I'm getting to know and really enjoy. Our social media maven is JV Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all next, win- or this Wednesday for my spot with Jeff Schwartz. All right, that's it for me. Deuces.